0: How many people really truly understand both of our histories? How we got to where we are? How many people understand the legend of Scrap Daddy Adam Pierce? Can you imagine back in the day what your future would have been had you been managed by Paulie dangerously? Remember that guy? Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. 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 Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, That Bearded Kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Who's Next, Il Goldberg. And welcome to another installment of Babble Mania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. I'm not going to hit you with a tagline. Instead, I'm going to hit you with the bell. Let's get hairy. Oh, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what that means. When the bell makes a sound, we hit the ground running, and we are running towards the first... Monday Night Raw of 2021, Raw Legends Night. I was uh, pretty excited for this because I always like it when they do these legend-based programs. It's just kind of like a, you know, like a fun, nostalgic journey. And when I think about previous episodes of Monday Night Raw that kind of revolve around this, um, I think of, like, good quality entertainment. Um... You will probably understand how by the end of this discussion, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to say the same thing about Raw Legends Night. Uh, we'll get straight into it. The show opened up with a cringy H-phone, in quotations, commercial from uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I hate Hulk Hogan. Like, I cannot stress enough how much I do not like Hulk that man. I did not like him when I was a kid. Uh I, I didn't like him at any point in my life. I think the only redeemable quality of Hulk Hogan is that incredible entrance theme. And maybe, maybe Hollywood Hogan when he joined the NWO. Like that's probably like the pinnacle for him, and it was very short-lived. But I don't know. I've just never been a Hulk Hogan fan. Even before all the nasty personal shit came out about him that just kind of proved how crappy of a human he was, I I still didn't like him. And then that that stuff happened, and I was like, oh, so now it's worse. I just, I don't know, man. I I can't stress it enough. Um, I'm going to stop talking about it because I have to talk about him here in a little bit, and I don't want to, but we go into Ms. TV uh Ms and Morrison do their best job of kicking the night off. Uh spoiling the legends we're gonna see. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why you wouldn't just have most of them be a surprise or, you know, like a pop-up moment where you're like, oh wait, hey, look who it is. That's awesome. But no, it was it was ruined. Like they were literally just dropping their names and it just didn't make any sense to me. Uh Miz also brags about getting his briefcase back. It's all very icky. It's <laughs> very, very icky. But it is saved by the presence of the New Day, who come out and take over the segment with their new show, New Day Talks, which I loved. I loved that they did this. Uh, They steal the correct catchphrase in glorious fashion. Uh, They announce Xavier as bailiff, and they start asking the tough questions. Morrison plays along uh, hilariously, to be completely honest. But when the New Day kick off their cooking segment, Miz snaps and goes off. At this point, the Miz is just, you know, doing his Miz thing where he's yelling and screaming and Teddy Long comes out. Teddy Long's music hits, he comes out and he probably does like the funniest thing all night that any legend will do and that is, he hilariously says that the Miz and Morrison are going to be facing The Undertaker in a handicap match. Uh, Xavier and Kofi kind of hype this idea up. It's really funny. Uh, Adam Pearce comes out, kind of whispers in Teddy Long's ear. Teddy Long goes, my bad, and then simply declares that there's a tag team match about to happen between Miz and Morrison and The New Day. And with that, our first match is set. Miz and Morrison versus The New Day. Uh, This started off as a pretty simple tag team match between two established teams, I'll say, uh, with New Day running things for the first block, uh, during the second block, Miz and Morrison kind of take control, but Xavier and Kofi get their feet back, and Xavier puts Morrison away with a Shining Wizard. Typical, nothing special, nothing flashy. It was a it was a very clean way to have some faces get a win over some heels. Uh, we move on to a backstage interview with Randy Orton. Uh, Randy Orton states that he did not burn Alexa last week because The Fiend changed him into someone with restraint. He, He talks about how The Fiend changes people. And he talks about how The Fiend changed him into someone who can't fully be themselves. Their complete, dastardly, terrible self. And he says that he hates himself for it. But then... He figures that he can learn to harness the hate and says that he's going to go find some legends and remind them why he is called the legend killer. I'm going to tell you guys right now, this Randy Orton situation throughout this episode of Monday Night Raw, it, it was like the highlight. It was the best thing about this show, almost the thing that kept this show going, to be completely honest. Um, I'm I'm going to be talking about these Randy situations uh, several times before the Raw discussion is over um, and just understand that they are the highlights. <laughs> um, now, I know that there were some legends involved in this situation, uh, but giving Angel Garza the 24-7 title is not a good way to push him. In my opinion, the 24-7 title is a bad sign for your placement in the company. I'm just saying. Like, I know that there's, and don't get me wrong, I love R-Truth. I think R-Truth is probably one of the most underutilized people in the last decade when it comes to WWE superstars. And he is funny, and he does a good job of making the 24-7 title what it is, but... The 24-7 title is nothing but a bad omen for your placement in the company. If you are chasing the 24-7 title or carrying the 24-7 title, for me, the viewer, it seems like they have no idea what they're doing with you. It seems like they have ran out of ideas for you or something. And it's just, it's not a good sign. And the reason I don't understand it with Garza is because they've kind of repackaged him into this new gimmick, this new character. And he seems to have the ability to maybe get that off the ground. But the 24-7 title is just going to be an anchor for him. And I I think it was just a bad idea overall to throw him into the mix. But for right now, we move on to another match. And this time, it is AJ Styles versus Elias. Uh, this match was a lot better than their first match, but it still felt like that match. <laughs> the highlight of this match was afterwards when Riker jumped in the ring to strike AJ Styles with Elias's guitar, and Omis just like obliterates it with a kick, just stops AJ from being hit by this guitar, and just demo- he like he literally could have shouted out "Striker, no striking!" right before he did it, and it would have been even better. It was insanity. Uh, it was also a testament to like how quickly he he did it. Like this man actually. Could be something really, really special in the company if he's being trained properly. Because I was very impressed by not only the kick itself, by how quick he was for a really, really big dude. Um, also, really kind of. Now that I've said it out loud, I wish he would have gone striker. No striking. <laughs> um, back to the Randy thing. Backstage, uh, Randy Orton confronts the Big Show, uh, bringing up their past. As we all know, last year um Randy Orton is kind of who put Big Show on the shelf. He kicked him in the head. It was very dastardly. It was kind of like one of the first moments of of Randy really taking advantage of this, you know, resurfaced legend killer uh persona. And, you know, they got heated backstage in this in this segment obviously. Um and this was kind of when I realized that this was the story that we were going to be getting for the most part on this episode of Raw. Um, Randy's hate that he is trying to, I guess, revitalize now that he's faced The Fiend and he feels like he's not as hateful as he once was. Um, With that being said, we put it on the shelf. We'll come back to it here in a bit. Right now, we're going to talk about the next match of the evening, which is Charlotte and Asuka. Versus Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. Uh, this was another solid match, with honestly a very a very surprising ending. Um, Ric Flair was at ringside, cheering on his daughter, and at some point he accidentally cost uh, the champs the win. And afterwards, Charlotte went off. She got in his face and she told him to stay out of her business, and it was really really intense. I did not see this coming. You know, this was Legends Night. Ric Flair walked her down to the ring. I thought that for sure this new Charlotte that we got was going to be, uh, you know, a very big baby face. I thought that this Charlotte would be, I love my dad, and I'm so glad he came out here with me. And he's a legend, and legends make legends, something along the lines of that. But when she got out of the ring and she got in his face and she just went off on him, it was a sign that she's probably going to kind of stay that same character that she always has been, which is like the slight heel that gets cheered by everybody. Um, I don't know. I really, really, really want to see Charlotte go straight up full nasty heel like her dad used to do. Ric Flair is like one of the greatest heels of all time. He was just good at it. And I think Charlotte probably carries that within her. And I just I'd really, really like to see it. And it was it was so good because it made me feel bad for Rick. It made me feel really bad for the way that she treated him. So it definitely worked. Um speaking of legends, we get some more legend shenanigans in the back as Hulk Hogan and the Mouth of the South approach Drew McIntyre and Seamus. Uh Hogan tells Drew that he's proud of him. And Seamus kind of leaves getting followed by a mouthy mouth of the south and then we get this wholesome collaborative catchphrase from the champ and hogan it like it was wholesome i give props to drew for doing that it was kind of like merging two different worlds maybe uh you know a small passing of the torch like the torch is a match You know, because in my opinion, that's the torch that Hulk Hogan carries. He carries a fucking match. It's not a big, beautiful torch that will guide you through the night. It's just a fucking match that's going to burn out eventually. And it was kind of him giving that to Drew. But once Drew carries that, it will be the gigantic torch that carries you through the countryside. Um, He's just so much better than Hogan, man. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. It's just the way that I feel about it. I just, Drew McIntyre is what Hulk Hogan wishes he was. Just saying, like fight me over it, at me, I don't care, that's just the way that I feel. Uh we move on to our next match which is Riddle versus Bobby Lashley. Uh this was another pretty solid match between the two of them. Had a great ending. Uh Riddle was in the hurt lock and he ran towards the ropes and he kicked off the ropes and he swung his legs over the top of the referee. And this caused the referee to kind of, like, dodge and roll out of the way. And because of his shift position, the referee didn't see when Riddle tapped. Lashley knew that he tapped. MVP knew that he tapped, but the referee didn't see it. So when Bobby Lashley dropped him and started holding his hands up in victory, the referee was like, what, what are you doing? I didn't see him tap. And then Riddle rolls Lashley up and gets the victory. I thought it was really creative. I really liked it. I thought it was a good win for Riddle. Um, I was just a really big fan of that. I thought that was pretty creative. Um, We move on. Get it off the shelf. Blow it off. Another Randy run-in with him approaching Mark Henry. Mark Henry, I guess, has some sort of an injury. And he's on this scooter thing where you like rest your leg on this scooter and you hold it and you just kind of scoot around. Uh, Randy just goes off on him. uh, Tells him that he owes him plenty of receipts for all the times that he was body slammed and attacked by him and pretty much tells Mark Henry that he can't do anything about it and that he needs to will his way out of his arena. It was very harsh. I really like this so far. I was hoping that it would just climb and climb and climb into a moment of, like, climax. Um, We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but so far, Randy is really the glue that's, like, holding the show together. Um, Next up, we have Mandy Rose versus Shayna Baszler. Um, The match never really officially starts, however, because Baszler attacks Mandy from behind as she's walking towards the ring. Uh, During the beatdown, Dana Brooke comes out to help her friend, and she gets in the ring saying that she'll fight Shayna. The match starts and quickly comes to an end when Shayna locks Dana up in the clutch, but finds herself rolled up and losing the match. Um, She doesn't let go, however. Shayna Baszler does lose this match via pinfall, but she does not let go of the caravina clutch. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't think I've ever been able to say that right. Ever since I was a child, I don't think I've been able to say that submission correctly. Regardless, she does not let go, and she continues to hold it on to Dana Brooke choking her out. However, Mandy gets in the ring and just feeds her a nasty running knee. It was it was really nice. There was a lot of surprising outcomes in these matches this evening. Um, none of them were really, I guess, good enough to be... Noteworthy, if if the professional wrestling that took place on this program as a whole was really good, this would have been a decent raw. Um, I'll I'll save that for the end of the discussion though. Uh, Randy is making quick moves as he finds his way to Ric Flair in the back. Keep in mind, Ric Flair is probably in his own head right now, angry at himself for what he ended up doing to Charlotte during her match. He probably doesn't feel too hot. Well, Randy does not make that any better. Um, He tells Flair that he learned everything from him. And Flair responds by telling him that he believed in him. And Randy responds by telling him that none of that matters and that you are nothing but a pathetic old man now. And Flair looked hurt his eyes were kind of watery he just he it was like that moment like that existential moment where you see someone who had such a glorious past but is now you know just just that you know like mostly golden memories just kind of realize that they're not doing much anymore and it was really really sad randy is at the top of his game when it comes to this stuff um he's just so damn good at being an asshole. And I don't know, like, I almost... I'm so glad that this version of Randy Orton is back. Because when Randy isn't like this, it's really hard to care about him. He's very boring. That's just the way that I've always looked at Randy Orton. But this Randy is the... Like, this is how we need to see Randy go out. I think if Randy was to you know, cut it down to part-time or completely retire with this character, it would be an incredible way for his legacy to not only be, like, you know, solidified, but it would also be a really, really good way for him to go out. I think Randy Orton, when he's like this, he's just unstoppable. And it's just really, really, really good. He's really one of the best heels Of all time. But only when he's this legend killer character. We move on to our next match. Which is. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Of the Hurt Business. Versus Lucha House Party. Which at this point. Is. Gran Metalik. And Lince Dorado. Uh, This was another quick match. With another very surprising outcome. Uh, Lucha House Party. Actually wins this one. Due to to Cedric's ego-driven attitude. Cedric Alexander has been... almost separating himself... from the Hurt Business. And it... it like sometimes it feels like it's... involuntary. Like he's just accidentally... like getting way too excited... and like thinking very highly of himself. And I really like it because... it's adding this interesting... characteristic to the Hurt Business. And now it's, it's really good. Because afterwards... He he walks away from MVP and Shelton Benjamin. MVP is yelling at them for not being on the same page, and Cedric just walks away. Like, I did not think that Cedric would be the one that breaks out from the Hurt Business and kind of becomes the most talked about character. I honestly thought that that was going to be Bobby Lashley because he is like a larger-than-life object. <laughs> um, but... I'm really, really happy for Cedric. I think that this is proof how good Cedric has been all along. <clears throat> He's been absolutely killing it. Hold on. I'm going to take a sip of Wawa. <clears throat> my throat was getting a little dry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. But back to Cedric Alexander now that I'm uh, you know, quenched. Cedric Alexander has always been fantastic, and he really just needed a place to shine, and the Hurt Business has given him that. I don't want Cedric to leave or be kicked out of the Hurt business, but I am a big fan, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, I am a big fan that this is actually happening because I think this is going to add like a hurdle for the Hurt business to jump through, and that's something that they need as a faction. They need those hurdles. They need those moments that say, hey, you know, you guys have to get this done, and Cedric Alexander was the last person I thought that... Well, actually, Shelton Benjamin (laughs) was the last person I thought would do that. But Cedric was right in front of him, so I'm just glad that it's happening. But I didn't think that it would be Lucha House Party that would capitalize on this. That was really weird. It almost feels unnecessary because you and I both know damn well that they're not going to do anything with Lucha House Party. They never have. Like, why was it Lucha House Party that got this win because of the turbulence... That's kind of going on right now with the herd business. Why lucha house party? Are you going to give them a tag? Uh, are you going to give them a shot at the titles? Are they going to be like an actual threat? Are they potentially going to take those titles? It doesn't make sense to me that it was a lucha house party, which is a shame because these people are great. We know they're great, but man, I don't know. It was just ridiculous. Um, with that being said, I wanted to talk about this next. This this happened. Directly after Randy's um, interaction with Ric Flair in the back, but I did I wanted to get the hurt business and Lucha House Party situation out of the way before I talked about this because for me this is kind of like when the show reached its climax. Everything uh, after this was was downhill, and we'll we'll get to that here in a little bit. You probably know <laughs> what I'm going to talk about, but I want to talk about Randy's match uh, with Jeff Hardy. This was a really, really solid match. Randy was at his most dastardly, and at one point, he had his fingers knuckle-deep in Jeff Hardy's stretched earlobes, twisting them and pulling them back. It was absolute insanity. For me, this was probably match of the night, simply because it had all of the Randy buildup going along with it. Um you know randy has kind of been building himself up building a building himself up all night as this hateful guy who needs to get back to that hateful place because he's worried that the fiend might have taken it from him and he's spent all night kind of like almost like he was metaphor like he was on a quest like he was harvesting the souls of these legends and just using it to like feed himself and then he ends up with a match against Jeff Hardy, who is a legend in his own way and someday will be an actual legend in the actual Hall of Fame, and he just torments him. And, you know, the match comes to an end with an RKO, and Randy just looks absolutely unstoppable. He looks like all these souls that he's metaphorically harvested have satisfied his craving for pain and it's, it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. And I cannot wait to see what is in store for him. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'll tell you that much. So, with that being said, we move on to our main event, which is Drew McIntyre defending his WWE Championship against Keith Lee. This match kicked off with Keith Lee looking like a big threat to McIntyre's strap. Uh, which is how it should be, because we know how great Keith Lee is. It should look like that. Lee kept bringing it and spent most of this match looking like an absolute beast. At one point, Keith Lee hit a Spanish fly on Drew McIntyre from the top rope. It was absolutely insane. This match did really end the show on a high note. I know that Drew picked up the win, but... We all knew that that was probably going to happen. The point is, Drew looked like a fighter because Lee threw absolutely everything at him and he still walked away the victor. But Keith Lee looked like a fucking superstar after this match. He looked so damn good. It was absolutely phenomenal. After the match is over and Drew has retained his WWE championship, Drew goes to, assumably, talk highly of Keith Lee. Now, the entire time this match is going on, there are legends sitting at the top of the ramp watching it. You know, just having a good time, watching the the, the current champ defend his title. This match comes to an end, a very, very good match. All the legends are standing up. <clears throat> Drew grabs a microphone after he shakes Keith Lee's hand, and we can only assume that he's about to cut a great promo where he's talking about Keith Lee, and how good he was. And then Goldberg's music hits. And Goldberg walks down to this ring. And I was just surprised. I was absolutely shocked. The child in me popped. Because I've said it on this podcast before. When I was a kid, Goldberg was my favorite favorite wrestler but I was also a kid and I used the term wrestler very very loosely but now that I'm an adult and I've seen how they book him I was just like no please don't do this Goldberg comes down to the ring grabs a microphone tells Drew McIntyre that he lacks respect for the legends and then challenges him for the title at the Royal Rumble. Drew McIntyre responds by telling him that fighting him would be like fighting his dad, and then Goldberg responds with a shove to the ground, and then the show abruptly goes off the air. First of all, big question mark surrounds Goldberg's comment about Drew McIntyre Lacking respect for legends. Drew McIntyre has been one of the best baby faces that we have seen in a long time. It made zero fucking sense when Goldberg said that. Another question mark is how abrupt it was when the show went off the air. Now, I have learned that what was supposed to happen was that Drew was apparently supposed to to cut a promo after his match with Keith Lee, and he was supposed to talk about the legends, and he was supposed to kind of, like, backhandedly say that they're like has-beens. And that was going to be what brought Goldberg out. Even if that did fucking happen, it still would not have made sense. Why does Goldberg have to be a face going into this altercation? Why can't he be an old, grumpy fucking heel who gets his ass handed to him at the Royal Rumble. And I am telling you right now, I swear, and I don't know if any news has come out that has changed this, but I am telling you right now, if Goldberg is the one who takes the title away from Drew McIntyre, half of your audience is going to absolutely grill you alive. After what happened to The Fiend, Goldberg's legacy, Goldberg's. How do I say this? The great statue that is Goldberg crumbles now every single day after what they did to The Fiend. And if you do it to Drew McIntyre, you are going to obliterate that statue. And no one is ever going to want to see Goldberg ever again. Now, I know that Goldberg has never held the WWE championship, and that makes me very, very worried. But I am hoping, I am hoping that this either does not happen at all, or or Drew McIntyre comes out on top. And we'll talk about this as we get closer to the Rumble, but god damn it, I do not want to see Goldberg beat Drew McIntyre. I don't want to see Goldberg beat this Drew McIntyre. It just it would it would be complete bullshit. And we all know that it would. Most of us saw what happened between The Undertaker and Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. Okay, there is a big possibility that Goldberg could hurt your champion. Just saying it does not need to happen. Now, to be the first Raw of 2021 and Legends Night. This was a very, very meh episode of Monday Night Raw. It was mostly boring. The Legends felt ridiculous. They honestly felt like sideshow attractions. Um, it was kind of sad. Not one of them set foot in the ring. It was absolutely absurd. I I don't know why they decided to have Raw Legends Night, if they were going to do it like this, uh... I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. I thought it was unnecessary. I this was one of like the weaker raws that I've seen in a very, very long time. And I could blame it on my expectations being too high, but that kind of boils back down to WWE for making them high by giving me really, really good legends nights and you know one thousandth episodes and throwback episodes like I don't know. This was just... This this episode of Monday Night Raw was held together by the hateful glue that is Randy Yorton. Um But I don't know. I guess we're sitting here talking about the Goberg thing. Regardless, on the beard scale, this episode of Monday Night Raw gets a beard that had no idea that anybody was next anymore. Jesus Christ. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, with the end of our Monday Night Raw discussion, we move on to our SmackDown Live discussion. Now, I like this because there's a little bit of duality with the low that was Monday Night Raw. We got a very high SmackDown Live, and you'll understand this as I talk about it, but gosh dang, this was a really, really good episode of SmackDown. The show kicks off with Roman Reigns coming down to the ring with his counsel, Jey Uso and Paul Heyman. After grabbing a microphone, he goes on to talk about what he did to Kevin Owens last week. And he says that he likes Kevin Owens and that although he's a pain in his ass, He's ambitious, and that is redeemable. He then says that he loves being the locker room leader because he helps everybody eat. But people have been pointing fingers. But he tells them that they need to stop pointing fingers at him and his friends, and that they need to be pointing fingers at WWE official Adam Pearce. Because in Roman's opinion, his warped, narcissistic opinion... It is Adam Pearce's fault that what happened to Kevin Owens happened. And he simply invites Adam Pearce out to have a little chat with him. Before getting into the meat of things, he shows Adam Pearce a video package, basically recapping the beatdown on KO and what he had to do with it. Afterwards, Roman turns it all on Pearce, asking him what he has to say for himself. He says that he's to blame for KO being out and not being able to provide for his family and that Pierce thinks he's stupid. At some point, he gets super aggressive, grabs Adam Pierce by his jacket and backs off kind of because of Heyman. And he takes back his stupid remarks and finishes by saying that right now, Pierce is safe. The reverse psychology in this segment was off the charts. Roman is really pushing this character to better heights. And each and every week, he gets better and better and better. And it is fucking undeniable. I loved this segment. I, at, at one point in my life, I wanted to go into psychology. And after taking a semester of psychology classes, I was like, fuck, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. (laughs) But I've always been interested in it, and I've always been interested in all the characteristics of like narcissistic people. Roman Reigns is playing this super narcissistic character, and it is absolutely groundbreaking for his career. This segment gave us reverse psychology, it gave us gaslighting. It gave us manipulation. And it's almost scary how natural it comes to Roman Reigns. It makes me wonder how he is in real life <laughs> because, holy shit, he is playing this character almost too well. But every single week when he grabs a microphone, he just gets better and better at talking. And I'm just, I'm here for every single bit of it. I almost, I'm starting to feel bad for hating Roman Reigns at some point in time. Like, bro, I'm, like, I've am i been eating my feet since he came back. And I'm honestly okay with it. Like, I've grabbed a knife and a fork and, like, I got the ketchup out. Like, I'm ready to eat my feet, dude. I don't even care anymore. This Roman Reigns is absolutely fantastic. And honestly, I hope he never changes. I hope that this is his character for the rest of his career. We move on to our first match of the night. And it is Big E defending his Intercontinental title against Apollo Cruz. The match starts with a false finish from Cruz and him running things for a bit with a clean offense and some beautiful German suplexes. After hitting a big superplex on E, they lock legs and the ref counts to three. But who is the winner? The move itself pointed to Apollo because it was a pretty big superplex. But As the move was being set up, it looked like Big E was in control. So that screams that Big E is the winner. After much anticipation, the referee says that both of their shoulders were down and that it's a draw. So E gets to leave with his intercontinental title. He accepts this. He tries to fist bump Apollo Crews and say, hey, sometimes that's just how it is. But Apollo is very, very upset. And he ends up slapping Big E in the face. And as soon as he does that, Big E is just triggered, and he demands that the bell is rung and this match restarts. This match was way better, obviously, with really nice back and forth, both men's most impressive moves. It was really, really nice. Biggie hits a big urinagi in the corner on Apollo Cruz, and scoops Apollo up, finishes it with the big ending, and retains his title. Big E walked away from this looking strong, and Apollo walked away from this looking like a worthy opponent with like a new edge to his persona. Um, There was a part of me for the past little bit that's kind of smelled a heel turn in Big E's future, but I don't really think that anymore. I, I think if Big E went heel, it would be... It's going to need a really slow build. It's only going to work if it's a slow build and it makes sense. But I'm starting to smell a heel turn in Apollo's future. And I think that that could be really, really beneficial for him. And I think this was the seed that planted that idea. And I just, I really hope that Apollo takes advantage of this. Because I've always thought very highly of him. And I think he could maybe do really good things as a heel. So we're just going to have to see where this goes. Um, We move on to a backstage interview. Bianca Belair has announced her entry into the Women's Royal Rumble match, but before she can talk about it, she is interrupted by Bailey, who backhandedly says that Bianca would not win, and if she did, that she would squander her opportunity. Uh, Bianca responds by bringing up the fact that Bailey is not champion right now because she took her title reign and squandered it. Really, really good stuff here. Um, I'm not gonna get too much into it, but... You know, because as we get closer to the Royal Rumble, I'm obviously going to be doing predictions and whatnot. But Bianca might be my pick for this year's Women's Rumble. I'm really going to have to sit down and think about it. But right now, during this episode of SmackDown, Bianca Belair is 100% who I'm pulling for uh, to win the Women's Royal Rumble. We'll see if that changes, but right now, that's how it is. Our next match of the night is the Street Profits defending their SmackDown Tag Team titles against Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Uh, This is a heavy grudge match after the assault the Profits suffered last week with Ziggler and Roode really looking like the aggressors in this equation. Uh, Right off the bat, Montez Ford does an assisted moonsault and instantaneously grabs his knee. This is not only highlighted by the announcers, but it's also highlighted by Rude, who ends up kicking that injured leg after an angry flurry of punches from Ford. Uh, Ford gets the upper hand, delivers a beautiful over-the-top rope dive, uh, but that leg seems to be a bigger problem than ever with him unable to get up after this high-risk maneuver. Dawkins takes over to his best abilities, but eventually falls to the good health of of both of his opponents, all while Ford is limping on the apron, really, really selling this injury. After Dawkins finally hits a hot tag to Ford, he comes in fueled by adrenaline, laying waste to both Ziggler and Rude, and he rides this wave for what feels like forever, really showing that fighting spirit. However, it is not enough, and he eats, I'm assuming, Rude and Ziggler's new finishing maneuver, which is a spine buster zigzag combination. And the Prophet's reign has come to an end. And your new SmackDown Tag Team Champions are Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. This was absolutely shocking. But it almost felt right. After what Roode and Ziggler did to them last week, this was a very fitting title change. And I don't know. I've always been a really big fan of Dolph Ziggler. And I've always been a really big fan of Bobby Roode. And at the beginning of them being tossed together as a team, I was like, meh, whatever. I don't know if I like this, but this is great. I'm actually a pretty big fan of this. And to be quite honest, if they can get it down right, if they can make it look a little bit cleaner and a little bit more fluid, Bobby Roode delivering a spine buster to somebody while Ziggler hits a zigzag on him is a really, really nice combination finisher. I like that a lot. So I'm excited to see where this goes. And I'm excited to see what happens to the Street Profits. Um, but this was one of those, like, shocking title changes where I was left, you know, golf clapping. I was like, you know what? I'm okay with this. I think this is really, really good. Plus, the Street Profits and rudin and Ziggler have had really, really good chemistry with each other. Just, they feed off of each other very, very well. Uh, we move on to a backstage segment where Paul Heyman has approached Adam Pierce. And he's talking about Pierce's past in smaller companies. If you're not aware, Adam Pierce is kind of like, I wouldn't say, you know what, he is. He's a legend in the world of small professional wrestling. This man has done some really great things, has had some really great matches. He held the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for a hot minute. Adam Pierce was great. Um, Scrap daddy. Adam Pierce Paul Heyman even said it himself um i I wondered why they they brought that up and why Heyman was talking about all of this stuff, and then I was instantaneously fulfilled <laughs> by those thoughts because Paul Heyman tells Adam Pierce that he has pulled some strings and that he has gotten Pierce a spot in the gauntlet match this evening to determine the number one contender for Roman's title at the Royal Rumble. This was a huge, shocking moment. Most casual fans know Adam Pearce as the official in WWE. And there's probably not a lot of people who know his past in NWA and all these other like indie promotions. And I'm telling you right now, if if you don't know about that stuff, go look it up. Go to his Wikipedia page and read about him. Um, go to YouTube, find some stuff to watch from from back in the day. It may be one of the most surprising things that you will ever read and I, at least I hope so because you know it kind of reminds me of old n x t like when n x t first came out and it was almost almost this like really cringy like game show that revolved around professional wrestlers it reminds me of how much they shit on Daniel Bryan because, oh my God, if you've never seen that stuff, go back and watch it because they absolutely crapped on Daniel Bryan. They were like, oh, well, you just, oh, he's a big indie star? That doesn't mean a damn here in the WWE. If you can't make it in WWE, then you none of that stuff matters. And you, like, they were literally saying stuff like that about Daniel Bryan, who's one of the most beloved indie wrestlers of all time and, like, has really proved that you can go from that to a major, major spotlight in the WWE. And Adam Pearce is one of those guys that almost has had a very similar career to Daniel Bryan, but for some reason did not click in the WWE. And just, just look it up. Just look it up and read about it. This was a really big shocker. I was baffled that... This was a potential storyline that was being thrown at my face. And with all that being said, we move on to the gauntlet match. It begins. Rey Mysterio kicks it off against Sami Zayn. Uh, Sami Zayn's entrance is very long due to his sermon on conspiracies and how he's wrongfully being wronged. As soon as he gets done, the bell rings, and he is defeated in very quick fashion. He eats a 619. He eats a frog splash. Rey Mysterio picks up the win. Oh, excuse me. Rey Mysterio picks up the win. It's wrong, but it's hilarious. And in all honesty, it is incredible how sweet of a spot Sammy has put himself in with this character. The fact that he can continuously lose and look like a fool, but not, (laughs) is absolutely fantastic. This is the best Sami Zayn that we've ever had on the main roster, and I just hope it lasts forever forever. Five ever, as a matter of fact. Ray stays in the ring to await his second opponent, Shinsuke Nakamura. Shin brings it to Ray, hitting as much offense as possible early on and really looking like he wants this. Ray bounces back, however, giving Shin his best moves, but eventually finds himself in an arm lock and tapping out, and Shinsuke Nakamura has advanced to his next opponent, King Corbin. King Corbin comes out looking focused after he takes out everybody. He throws Dominic Mysterio into the stairs. He throws Shinsuke into the ring post. And then he delivers a ginormous chokeslam to Rey Mysterio. He just looks like an absolute monster. The match officially starts and Corbin is carrying that same energy, just battering Shinsuke. Uh, Shinsuke fights back, but Corbin seems to have an answer for almost all of his offense. Corbin gets tossed out of the ring to do his signature run-around-the-ring post and come back into the ring to deliver a lariat. And out of nowhere, he eats a Kinshasa. And once again, Shinsuke Nakamura gets the victory and advances. His next opponent, Daniel Bryan. This is one of those big dream matches that I would love to see on a big stage with both men at their pinnacle. Daniel Bryan versus Shinsuke Nakamura at, like, Wrestlemania with, like, a 20-minute time slot would be the stuff of legends. Um, I, I, I hate that I just thought about that because now I'm sad that it's probably never, ever going to happen. But regardless, <laughs> Brian tries to tear down a tired Shinsuke being, you know, fresh and in the zone with vicious kicks, great submissions, wonderful suplexes. He really runs things, tearing down Shin but he cannot seem to put Shinsuke away. After a knee from the top rope, Nakamura takes things over with some strong style, but once again finds himself on the defensive, almost getting pinned. Brian starts to build that classic yes-movement-fueled steam, hitting his signature running knees in the corner, but ends up eating another surprise Kinshasa. Once again, Shinsuke Nakamura advances, super-duper stoked. I was, like, on the edge of my seat. A sign of respect between them happens right before Roman comes out, staring Shinsuke down before his last opponent. This is wild to think about, because without Pierce being thrown into this storyline, we would be getting Shinsuke Nakamura versus Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. And I just think that would be absolutely wild. I actually think it would be a really good match, especially with how good Roman's gotten. I just think that their chemistry would be off the charts. I just think about it, and I'm, like, baffled. Um, we move on to, like, the main event, we'll call it. And that is Adam Pearce reluctantly coming out and walking down to the ring with Roman and his counsel as Shinsuke Nakamura awaits, almost tasting the glory. Before the match starts, Jey Uso gets in the ring and talks smack to Shinsuke. And right when it reaches a boiling point, he hits Shinsuke Nakamura with an elbow. And then Roman jumps in the ring, and they just beat Shinsuke down. They they lay waste to Shinsuke Nakamura. And then Roman rolls out of the ring, stands beside Adam Pearce, and says something along the lines of, you're going to learn a lesson, or you're going to teach him a lesson. Something like that. And then he just throws Pierce in the ring. Pierce gets up, and he eats this nasty superkick from Jey Uso, and he sells it like a champ. That was one of the best superkick sales I've seen in quite some time. And that is when Roman demands the timekeeper to ring the bell. The bell goes off. Ding, ding, ding. Jey Uso takes Adam Pierce's body, throws it on top of Shinsuke Nakamura. The referee reluctantly counts to three, and Shinsuke's dream is crushed. Our dreams are crushed. But Adam Pierce is the new number one contender for Roman Reigns' title and will be facing him at the Royal Rumble. Now, there's so much to say about this. First of all, holy shit. It's absolutely incredible. This is some really, really juicy story that I can get into. But there's so many people who seem to be it's almost weird because it's obviously going to go over most casual fans' heads because a lot of people probably don't know about Adam Pierce's past. And that's understandable. But I'm hoping that this sheds some light on Adam Pierce's past and makes people see him for what he was and what he could have been. I don't know how this match is going to go. And I'm going to save my discussion on it for, you know, when we get closer to the Royal Rumble and I, I, I deliver my predictions. But this is, this seems to be an ongoing theme with Roman's new heel character. Roman is giving us title opportunities to people that a lot of us want to see involved. A lot of us have always wanted to see these people in some type of spotlight. And I don't know if it's being done on purpose or if it's just, you know, happenstance, but I really, really like the fact that Jay Uso is a main event guy now. I really like the fact that he got to face Roman Reigns at a big pay-per-view event for the title. I like the fact that Kevin Owens is at the top of his game and has given us some really incredible moments and got to fight Roman Reigns for the title, and now we're getting Adam Pierce. And it almost seems like there's going to be some sort of beatdown. And like I said, I'm trying to save most of this for my Royal Rumble predictions, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Adam Pierce is going to look surprising in his match with Roman Reigns. At least I hope so. It's either going to be that or he's going to be absolutely decimated and made a fool of, which Roman Reigns is probably going to make look really, really good. This was a fucking phenomenal episode of SmackDown. It was the shining star in WWE programming this week absolutely phenomenal uh on the beard scale gets a beard that hopes you know about scrap daddy google them yes my friends you know how it goes when the bell makes a commotion we move on to another promotion right now we are going to talk about aew dynamite this is part one of their new year's smash and it was really really exciting Uh, Our first match of the night is an eight-man tag pinning the Young Bucks and SCU against TH2 and the Acclaimed. This was a very clean match, not surprising though with all the talent that has graced the ring. Clean sequences, great tag team action, a solid win for the faces, just an overall really, really well put together uh, eight-man tag. SCU may get an opportunity soon. And I think that that's really interesting. I really like the return of SCU to the mix for the tag team titles. And I think if they do it properly, they could really look like a threat again. I I personally don't think that the Young Bucks are going to drop the tag team titles anytime soon. I think they're going to hold them for a really, really long time. And I think if they do drop them, it's going to be... I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks there's going to be some falling out between Nick and Matt. Um, I think what will end up happening is they'll drop the tag team titles to a very worthy team, and it'll be because of some inner turbulence amongst them. And then at some point, we will get Nick versus Matt Jackson, probably at like a big pay-per-view event. At least I hope that's how it goes. Um... But I really like the idea of SCU becoming a threat again. Um, I also like the idea of SCU being split up. Um, SCU is one of those trios, and they kind of don't really feel like a trio anymore. Now they just kind of feel like a a a, a regular tag team with no Scorpio Sky, but I like the idea of SCU kind of crumbling apart. And I don't know. I'd like to see Frankie Kazarian... Go on. if I had to pick any two members of SCU to stay a tag team, it would be Kazarian and Sky because they're phenomenal. Christopher Daniels is good, but you can kind of tell that you know his his age is getting to him, and I would like to see Daniels more so of a like a like a manager character for 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 a little a little while. But I don't know. I, I think that SCU is probably going to diminish at some point in time. But, you know, one last shot at the tag team titles uh, and and failing would be a really good way to introduce that new storyline. But we'll, we'll just have to see where it goes. Um, Moxley is back, makes his way to the ring to speak, cuts an incredible promo, like always, about wanting to hurt Kenny Omega and Don Callis, but avoiding that so his boy Ray Phoenix can get a chance Uh, for a title, which is something that he's wanted for 14 years. Uh, Very intense, very Moxley-esque, very honorable. I liked it a lot. We go back to the action with Jake Hager versus Wardlow. This match was actually really, really good, uh, with Wardlow really stealing the spotlight. Both men went to a bit of a war, but Hager was not enough for Wardlow's power. He eats an F10, suffers the pinfall loss, and afterwards, we have a respectable gesture uh, that kind of shows that maybe, just maybe, the inner circle may be stronger than ever, which is almost worrisome to think about. Because if the inner circle is as strong as they perceive, as uh, is, is strong as they perceive to us, then theoretically the inner circle should be unstoppable. And I've always said that I don't... I don't know if I want to see the inner circle become, like, this big stable. I think that opportunity has been missed. I, I I really thought that while Jericho was AEW champion, that we would see the inner circle kind of follow suit. And, like, I just thought it would be really cool to have all the belts on the inner circle at some point. But I think that moment is passed. So I don't know if they're just making us think that the inner circle is stronger than ever by maybe hitting us with a curveball and then we 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 just see them crumble but i don't know i'm i'm here for it i'm really interested to see where it goes uh we quickly move in uh to some segment action and it's Brian Cage and Darby Allin weighing in for their match for the TNT championship um so if you are not aware AEW has retired the red variant of the TNT uh championship when Tony Khan gifted it to Brody Lee Jr and said that he was the forever champion uh that did not mean that they were getting rid of the TNT title in all uh it, it meant that they were taking the red variant of it and they were retiring it permanently so Brody Lee can literally have it forever which is so fucking admirable and beautiful i cannot stress enough how unbelievable like the amount of respect i already had a lot of respect for these people but the amount of respect that i have gained for AEW as a whole and specifically you know Tony and Cody and the bucks and omega to to do these things is just absolutely it's tenfold it's unbelievable um i was very excited to see uh what the new design was going to look like and it's it's the same thing but with a black strap And they kept that same red band on it. It's honestly very fucking nice. I love it. I think it's very clean. And I also think it's very fitting for Darby's aesthetic. So seeing him carrying that new TNT championship was just mm, fucking mint. Uh, Cage weighs in first. And he weighs an incredible 270 pounds. And then Darby stands on the scale. And comes in at a whopping 170 pounds. Uh, Tony Schiavone points out that is a 100-pound difference. And then Taz goes on to say, of course it is. And he makes fun of Darby by saying that, of course he weighs 170 pounds. Look, he's got on shoes, he's got on a belt, he's got on jewelry. And this just pisses Darby Allen off. <clears throat> Darby yanks the microphone out of Tony Shavani's hands and goes on to say that This match is not actually nine months in the making. It's actually 27 years in the making uh, because he has dealt with shit like this his entire life. And then he prepares to fight every single one of them by himself. Before the beatdown starts, which we can only assume that Darby would have gotten, you know, manhandled by all these people, um, the lights go out and he is joined by Sting. And Taz's team abandons uh, while he is screaming that he is absolutely sick of this, this was a really great segment. I love Darby Allen's character, and I love how he is really starting to like feel himself and get into this. Uh, for him to say, you know, this has been 27 years in the making because I've dealt with shit like this my entire life was really, really, I guess, relatable. You know, Darby speaks to like those victimized. You know, kids, and I guess he speaks to the millennials. You know, because Darby is uh, just a year younger than I am, and you know, it's it's true. Like a lot of us went through shit like that throughout school, or we got picked on for something that we couldn't control, or just you know, for just being ourselves. And I like that a lot. Um, Darby is going to really shine in that aspect, in my opinion. And I don't know. I I, I don't. I think Darby's going to overcome the odds. We'll talk about it as we get closer to the match. Well, actually, the match is uh, this upcoming week. So, I mean, my prediction is that Darby overcomes Brian Cage and just looks like a formidable champion. Um, at least I hope that's what happens. Just seeing him take out all of his frustrations. Just, you know, I, I think what's going to happen is Darby is going to see Brian Cage just all these bullies that gave him hell throughout his entire life. And he's just going to snap, and it's going to be absolutely phenomenal, and I, I really like that, and I just, I'll never get over the alignment of Sting and Darby Allin. I just think it's so smart and just it's everything that is right. It's visually right, it's character right, it's wrestling style right. It's just it's all going to be fantastic. And I just I can't wait to see where that goes. But um we move on to like a little flashback to AEW Dark. Uh negative one, Brody Lee Jr. uh came down to the ring and cut a promo on Marco Stunt uh, saying that when he gets older, he's going to be bigger than Marco. And it was absolutely phenomenal. Just incredible. I love how they incorporated it into uh, this episode of Dynamite. Just kind of letting FTR use it as fuel to make uh, Jurassic Express upset uh, Marco Stunt. stepping up and saying, hey, you know, it's not going to be you guys versus luchasaurus and jungle boy it's going to be you guys versus me and jungle boy i just i really really like that like Brody lee jr gets to live out a dream and i wanted to take a moment because i didn't really get to say these things on my uh episode last week where it was kind of all about uh brodie lee but <clears throat> i i had forgotten for some reason um I kind of touched on it a little bit when I talked about my father passing away in 2019 and how hard that was and how it's probably like the toughest thing that I've ever lived through. Um, and I, I touched on it a little bit by saying, you know, like I can't imagine what what it would have been like if I was a younger, like a younger person, like a child. Um, but the one thing that I didn't get to touch on was how incredibly, like, m- magical Brody Lee Jr. looks right now Um First of all, this kid gets—he's living out dreams, and they're treating him so well. And it's just absolutely lovely and admirable. But more importantly, Brody Lee Jr., man, he's so fucking strong. Like, the strength of this kid to go through what he has gone through and then go out there and have fun and, you know, do it for the legacy of his father and just— be as strong as he is. is just, He's got to be the strongest kid in the world right now. It's just, it's absolutely insane. And like, I don't know, man. It's, it's just beautiful. And it's really hard to talk about. And it almost leaves me speechless. And I think that that's a good thing. But it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, with that being said... We move on to another match, and it's Cody Rhodes versus Matt Sydal, with Coach Snoop Dogg in Cody's corner rather than Arn Anderson. Uh, Cody comes out to a Snoop Dogg remix of his entrance theme, which is pretty cool, and the match is underway. Very good chemistry from these two vets at this point, and Snoop's coaching was really funny. I liked it. He was hiding behind his little card and... You know, just making, like, stank faces at certain moves. It was really good. The match comes to an end with Cody putting Sidell away with the crossroads. But afterwards, he is attacked by Serpentico and Luther, Uh, due to an altercation earlier in the match where Cody kind of, like, socked it to Serpentico for almost no reason. It was very weird. Uh, but they attack him afterwards. Uh, Sidell jumps in, helps Cody out, evening the odds, and then we get this fun, poorly executed splash from Snoop Dogg himself. He climb, he like stops them, and he says, "You know what? I got this." And he climbs to the top rope, and he does this fun little splash, and it was really, really great. Um, it it wasn't executed well, but I think that's why it was good. He created something memeable, which is all in all honesty is like the the way to go these days. If you make something memeable, you're set, dude. And I, and I can vouch for that because I've posted. Clips of this podcast on my Instagram that I've gotten seven views, eight views, a couple of likes. But I post a meme that I created, and it just gets. I posted um, a video that I made where it was it was when uh, Aaliyah Mysterio announced that she loved uh, Murphy, and I incorporated uh, <laughs> I incorporated uh, Michael from the Office just going, God no into it, and it got, like, almost a 1,000 views. So that's a testament to the times. If you make something that's memeable, you make something that's memorable. (laughs) Um, You could also tell that Snoop was just really having a good time and being grateful to everyone for being there. It was really nice. Um, I like it. And honestly, at this point, I hope that WWE is fucking mad at him because he he kept it real, dude. And, like, he's not some object that you can just hold. He's fucking Snoop Dogg, okay? If AEW wants to do something with him, and if he wants to do something with AEW, let it happen. And if you guys are going to get butt hurt about it, sorry. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it a step further, and I know this is not true, but I'm going to say it. Snoop Dogg's splash is better than Sasha Banks' splash. I know that's not true, but I'm saying it to make people upset, and that's the way it goes. We keep it real over here. Next up, we have some championship action with Hikaru Shida defending her women's title against Abaddon. Before Sheeta can make it to the ring, she is attacked by Abaddon, but she responds with her kendo stick. Abaddon rises and gets in the ring, and our match is underway with a chaotic start. But it gets even wilder as Abandon at some point Abandon <laughs> as Abaddon at some point drags Sheeta underneath the ring. Um concern for the referee, what's going on, we have no idea what's happening but something spooky is upon us. Abaddon crawls from underneath the ring covered in blood and you just know that it's Sheeta's. Shortly after, Sheeta crawls from underneath the ring showing the signs of being bit. She continues to fight through this however and eventually puts Abaddon away, retaining her title. Now in my opinion, Sheeta and I I, I feel like every single time I talk about Sheeta and the fact that she's champion um, I say this. Sheeta hasn't really done it for me. She hasn't given me that great championship reign. Rio was off the charts when she was women's champion. Nyla Rose rose to the top when she was champion. But Sheeta has not done that for me. And I'm almost flabbergasted as to why. I just don't get it. I don't know what about Sheeta makes it to where I don't want to see her as champion. I don't know what it is. I actually thought that Abaddon was going to take it from her because I thought that behind the scenes that maybe some somebody else was noticing this and maybe said to themselves, you know what, let's give it to somebody else and let Sheeta kind of repackage herself in some way, but that's not the case. This match did not feel important enough uh, for Sheeta to walk away and have it raise the XP of the AEW Women's Championship. It it just didn't feel like that. Her match with Nyla Rose did, but not this match. And I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. I think Abaddon would have brought in something fun to the table when it came to this AEW Women's Championship. But I think it's going to happen eventually. We'll just have to see how it goes. But for now, eh. Hopefully Sheeta makes things better in some way or form. Now, it is main event time. And this, this match, I can't talk about it enough. Um, Kenny Omega defending his AEW World Championship against Ray Phoenix. Uh, the first bit of this match was the perfect amount of back and forth, and I just want to sidetrack for a second and talk about how much I love how lenient the refs become when there's a big title on the line. It it makes sense. And it makes the matches feel important. But more so, it makes the titles feel important. The fact that the ref is willing to say, hey, this is a big match, it's an important match, the title's on the line, if you guys want to be outside the ring for longer than 10 seconds, that's okay. I love shit like that. It really adds an important gesture to the matches themselves, and also the titles. You know, it it makes them feel bigger and better, and that's a really good thing. The, The outside of the ring action during this match was really, really nice. And by the time both men got back in the ring, the match was pretty much in Kenny's favor, but only for a little bit. Phoenix brings his energy back, hitting Omega with an insane dive that literally made me scream. Uh, He then hits an insane German suplex that made me scream again, but it's still not enough. After he hits the double stomp to the back of the champ's head, he continues to run things for a bit. Uh, However, Kenny comes back, and then Phoenix comes back, and it's pretty much this way for the rest of the match. Just each man getting bursts of energetic, close calls. The match finally comes to an end with a one-winged angel and Kenny retaining his title. This match was absolutely phenomenal. I still love the fact that sometimes AEW gives us pay-per-view quality championship matches on television. And this was one of those matches. This could have happened at Full Gear. This could have happened at Revolution. This could have happened anywhere. And it would have gone over just as well, if not better. But I am telling you right now, this match was absolutely phenomenal. And the fact that we're, you know, this... Short amount of time into twenty twenty one and we already have like a match of the year candidate for a e w s matches is in is unreal this match was fucking phenomenal, but it the discussion does not end there after Kenny wins this match and retains his title. something happens afterwards callus is bragging about Kenny Omega and shows Ray Phoenix on the Tron that Pac and Penta have been beaten down. And then he commands Kenny to end him with another one-winged angel. However, before it can happen, Moxley comes out with a barbed-wire baseball bat and attacks Omega. He hits him with it. Callus runs away. Moxley is standing tall, And then something crazy happens. And that is the Good Brothers, Gallows and Anderson, from Impact, raiding the ring and taking Moxley out. All while wearing their Impact Tag Team Championships. Absolutely bonkers. This beatdown goes on forever. With the Hills stopping everybody and anybody from helping. But then the Young Bucks come down to the ring. And they try to calm down the situation. They're talking, they're shoving, they're like, hey cut it out, what are you doing here? And then something crazy happens. The varsity blondes end up popping up and holding Kenny against the ropes in hopes that the Young Bucks super kick Kenny Omega. But that does not happen. Instead they get super kicked themselves and then it happens. Kenny Omega Gallows and Anderson and the Young Bucks Stand tall in the middle of the ring, holding up that infamous logo with their fingers, and just staring at the hard camera. And we have a Bullet Club reunion. I could talk about this for an hour, but I'm not going to. What a damn show this was. If this was Holiday Bash Part 1, I cannot holiday bash. If this was New Year's Smash Part 1, I cannot tell you guys how excited I am for Part 2. That was a very good cliffhanger and a very good moment that they gave us at the end of this, and it's insane. It just opens every fucking window in the house, and I just, god dang, I just I'm excited. This show really, really did a good job of climbing an interest the entire way. Like, it started off like here, and I'm holding my hand to my nose, <laughs> and then it ended up here, and now I'm like touching the moon. It just, it climbed in the best way it possible, ended with an insane highlight, an incredible episode of AEW Dynamite. On the beard scale, this episode of Dynamite gets a beard that is too sweet. Whoop whoop! Had to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, with that being said, this is the end of Mania. I'm riding off into the sunset. I would like to thank you for listening, I would like to thank you for giving me a great 2020, and I hope that 2021 is better for all of us. And I don't know. We're getting there. Um, as always, follow me on Instagram at Babblemania. That's B-A-B-B-L-E-M-A-N-I-A. Follow me over on Twitch, twitch.tv youngfacialhair Hair. I do live reactions to wrestling events. Come check me out. Come hang out. Partake in the shenanigans. It's fun. And as always, check me out on Spotify, Rap game Bray Wyatt, the link and all that stuff is there. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Babblemania. Mania. I will talk to you guys next time. Smooches. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling.